Good evening. Wonderful to be with you this evening. And thought, in some ways, I would like to talk about this retreat specifically, and some what, uh, in general, too, about not only our retreat life, but our Dharma life, our, our life as uh, human beings on this amazing blue pearl that we travel in space together. <laughs> so among the things that I'd like to um, talk with you about this evening are a little bit about states of consciousness. It's one of the things that's so interesting about meditation practice uh, generally, uh, because part of the promise of meditation practice is that we open up into a greater awareness. And that is certainly part of the wonderful potential I think uh, Vinny talked about it as um, as the potential and the the actualization or the realization of insight that in in this tradition of uh, Mahasi Saidao here at the at Spirit Rock, which is primarily you know the the Vipassana tradition, the way that we approach our contemplative practice looking for insight. And so in the process of that insight, then, uh, we're exploring the intrapersonal nature of our being. And I say that is unique from interpersonal, which is our, uh, our relational aspect of being. So both are uh, very important. Both are uh, vital to this process, which we sometimes call awakening. And awakening isn't about coming to one special place. Awakening is a process that we uh, are all engaged in. Just coming here, we are in the process of awakening. So... Uh, some of the times that I've spent with the Dalai Lama, I was kind of blown away the first time I heard him say, sometime when I'm enlightened. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, if there's any beautiful uh, awake being on the planet, he is certainly one of them. But he holds that that space of, uh, of that awakening uh, with such reverence as we do, that um, it's it's not a matter of ego. It's not a matter of personality, and it's part of that unwinding, learning the interesting distinctions between what we call in in some traditions uh, what is absolute reality and what is our relative reality, and of course our space of of being this uh, unique human life is what would be called 
uh, relative. It's not lesser at all. We have a unique um, connection to the universe. And that's part of this process of meditation and uh, integration through our various forms of contemplative practice. And of course, I'm including the the somatic aspect of our qigong in this too. It's uh, a vital aspect um, in my view, in my experience, for clearing the the pathways to um, to uh, not only a better understanding but a direct experience, a direct experience of what I referenced as uh, the absolute. And that's variously called, you know, true nature or Buddha nature, uh, the Tao, you know, the that which is eternal, that which is uh, unchanging, undying. And that's not somewhere out there. That's right here, right now. And part of our practice in uh, in the contemplative endeavors here of our um, of our meditation on a meditation retreat like Metta and Qigong, or like almost any of them that are done here, are about kind of opening up to that uh, greater direct understanding, that gr- direct experience of the connection that we have intimately with the universe. So connected directly with this process that we're engaged in of of this awakening is also a certain kind of maturity, uh, a certain kind of uh, growing up, Um, a, a clarity of being that allows us to understand true uh, ethical action. I think that uh, Bonnie has talked about that right from the beginning. The importance of, uh, she used the Pali word, of sila. And this, of course, this kind of sila, this um, that's often called a certain wholesomeness of our being, is not a kind of, how to put it, goody two-shoes kind of stuff. You know, it is it is um, it's connecting directly with uh, what brings uh, goodness and value to our lives as we uh, as we create inside that web of being inside the web of being uh, the meaning of our lives, finding in certain ways um, this this sense of destiny. In, in connection with the universe. Not predestination, but destiny in terms of what is potential for us. So we have the uh, kind of the, uh, the maturing of both our actions and uh, of our speech to a certain degree. And um, yeah, our, our thoughts and our intentions for uh, contribution to life. 
why one of the things that gives the greatest meaning is being able to have a sense of contribution no matter what you do in your life. If you feel like you can contribute in a wholesome way, um, it gives the ultimate satisfaction, far more so than any amount of money or uh, any material uh, acquisitions could ever really supply. So what we have in that is we have um, a way to observe certain qualities of ourselves. That's that intrapersonal nature, that kind of introspection that's potential here in this kind of practice that we're doing, where we're coming, literally coming within and viewing uh, the internal landscape in ways that it's kind of challenging to do uh, in our daily life. So coming to a retreat is, is really very wise because you, you take the time to uh, begin to cultivate the capacity for that inner looking, for that inner viewing. And uh, that inner vision, the, uh, the skills of that, are absolutely essential, then you can go out into your daily life and have some sense of uh, being able to continue the process of that cultivation. So continuity uh, in the contemplative traditions, in, in our tradition of practice, is essential. And it doesn't mean uh, sitting on the cushion two hours a day. Um, when we have the opportunity to go on retreat like this, then we have the opportunity to immerse in dharma, to immerse in a field of well-being. And when we do uh, also do our somatic practices on retreat like this, uh, that is also nourishing, uh, deeply healing, and restorative. And I don't use those words lightly. Um, the, the kind of restoration that takes place is deeply physiological, it's deeply neurobiological, and um, it is actually in the process and in, in the service of genuine transformation. So when we come together, we listen to the teachings of the Dharma. And we practice uh, as best we can the, uh, those teachings. And uh, when we're doing our Qigong, we practice the Qigong in its beautiful and intimate interface with the Dharma. And we practice the, the metta practices, the metta. Maybe that's the phrases. Maybe it's just the uh, releasing of anything that's blocked in our being that doesn't allow us to... Um, to emanate that sense of kindness and compassion to, uh, to all beings, that sense of universal altruism. So in this listening of, uh, of, the, of the Dharma, um, it has a few different qualities that I just wanted to point out 
I think that are uh, worthwhile reflecting on. One of the important aspects of engaging with the Dharma in this way is to understand that you will, you will receive some information. The uh, information is not yet knowledge, but uh, the, the layering of that information and the integration of it is very important. So on a core level, we're learning, you know, uh, like uh, we, we learn the, the qualities and the practices of the Brahma Viharas. And last night, uh, Bonnie led us in, uh, in a deeper understanding and the relevancy of what is called the hindrances. And then a little bit of the factors of awakening too. So as we do that, as we do that, we're connecting with a body of knowledge that has been passed down for centuries. So in a way, we connect with this uh, information, begin to uh, integrate that information, and hopefully this inspires us to practice. So when we learn and can feel even a little bit in that information, the potential for transformation, that's a big step. That's an important potential insight here. So from information and integration to inspiration. And then really central to the Dharma, central to Buddhist teachings, central to Taoist teachings as well, is what's called transmission. Now, transmission of the Dharma is not a top-down thing. It's a, uh, it's a field of participation that we, that we create together, both by our interest, our curiosity, uh, our desire for that awakening, that... Uh, that creates the, the space of connection with the lineage of practitioners over time. So we, we think of the Buddha and the Buddhist uh, lineage being about 2,600 years. But there were actually, they say, many Buddhas over time. Siddhartha Gautama being probably one of the latest um, uh, expressions of that uh, connection between the in the synthesis of the recognition and the awakening to the absolute to our true nature to our absolute nature. So when I say true nature. I don't want to say then our poor bad uh, relative nature, uh, because this human life is the vehicle for the expression of that absolute, and it cannot, it cannot work through any other, uh, any other way. It moves through. It moves through us. And its potential is then the, the, the wisdom of the universe, the compassion, the intelligence, finds its way through our practice, through our compassion, through our awakening of compassion, through our awakening of the wisdom 
of compassion. In the space of this beautiful quality, one of the finest qualities of a human of human life is the expression of kindness. I remember probably in the late 90s uh, going to, uh, sitting with the Dalai Lama for um, a week or so on a retreat. And he was teaching Majjhimika and this kind of really uh, deep and esoteric uh, practices and uh, teachings of Nagarjuna and so on. And someone, you know, and after a week we'd been like drenched in this really deep, beautiful, uh, these teachings. And there was always an opportunity to, uh, to, to talk and have some dialogue with the, with the Solonists. So somebody asked, said, well, these are, these are fantastic teachings. And of course they were. He says, but what's the what's the most profound teaching? What's the deepest, most, you know, profound teaching of Buddhism? And H.H. just sits back there, says, okay, you want to know the the most profound teaching of Buddhism? And he was just like milking it, right? (laughs) You really do? Are you ready? <laughs> so he just he took a little time and did this kind of dialogue as if you know we'd been in this almost arcane uh, exploration of Nagarjuna's uh, transmissions, and he said, "Okay." So after working with that a little bit, he says, "The most profound teaching of Buddhism is kindness," and it just kind of rocked the room like a ripple, like a ray of sunlight into the space. And all these people who had been thinking all this stuff and all the Buddhist scholars and and everything, like, oh. (laughs) I guess if, uh, if His Holiness says that's it. Um, And very sincere. Very sincerely, he meant that and then spoke a little bit more. Not so much about the Pali aspect that we're, that we're talking about here, but the essential essence of that, which is that uh, the expression of kindness. We often um, ex- uh, talk about that or express it as loving kindness. What uh, a profound teaching that is. And to understand that the cultivation of that is multi-layered, you know. We've been working with those layers, both somatically and with our Qigong, to release and to open, to feel the fullness, to be present with the earth, be present with the sky, be present with the four elements. Working with that settling in such a way that it's not, it becomes a direct experience. Not just a concept. 
One of my deeply beloved Tibetan teachers who um, was one of my um, most profound meditation teachers, a, a lama named Lama Wangdor. And he passed away a few years ago. Um, amongst the beautiful teachings that he gave, um, I'll tell you two of them. One was this aspect that he said, you know, a drop of emptiness purifies an ocean of samsara. So if, those, if some of those words are um, you're not familiar with, when he's talking about emptiness, he's talking about this, this pure, radiant essence of being, which we call our Buddha nature, our true nature which we call the, the Tao. So I thought, well, damn. I'm, I'm really missing this drop of emptiness. Where can I get one of these drops? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it's one of those aspects of practice that, that you're looking in some ways, I was looking kind of literally at what he was saying. But the, the revelation and how that opened uh, was, for me, was that uh, when we sit in, in this space of spacious, clear spacious awareness, pure presence awareness, and even if it's just for a sparkle of a moment, even if it's just a little bit, the ocean of samsara, of, the, of present conditioning, is purified. So it doesn't mean that always ongoingly, because we are conditioned beings. We live in this conditioned life. Even the Buddha was a conditioned being, you know. His awakening didn't mean, hey, everything is good, and I've got the cars, I've got the house, you know. (laughs) You know, in fact, it's said that he may have even uh, died of being poisoned by somebody. I w- it's uncertain exactly, but that's one of the stories. But so the, what that points to is the fact that uh, awakening is the potential for um, right action. And that, uh, that drop of emptiness, that drop of clarity which we which we look for those little sparkles. We look for those moments. Sometimes they are uh, larger moments of, of, uh, of sustained insight, what Maslow called uh, peak experiences. Right? 
But peak experiences are, as, as the term goes, they, they're here and then they're gone. They're, they oscillate. Um, and you can have a wonderful, and I hope you all have or will have, continued peak experiences in the, in the sense of metta and kindness, compassion, uh, deeper understanding and wisdom and insight of impermanence um, in ways that really allow the, the further action, how you interact with your cat, with your, uh, with your loved ones of all shapes and fur, that uh, uh, every being that you know, your, your, your family, your extended family, the way that we interact with the trees, the way that we act, interact with nature, that that has an impact, that, that those insights have um, a lasting in, uh, impact. So uh, a drop of emptiness purifies an ocean of samsara. And those drops um, continue to move through and in our being in such a way that there is some accumulation of presence, some accumulation of that quality of kindness, the highest teaching of our Buddhist tradition, that immense wisdom of kindness. I remember reading um, Einstein, uh, and uh, his reflection on the nature of the universe. And one of his one of his questions was, um, "Is the universe kind?" We've had this kind of reductionist view in science over the last, you know, 100 years or so that sees space as like empty, uh, you know, meaningless uh, projection of material. And the contemplatives throughout time, the mystics throughout time in the American Indian tradition, in the Buddhist tradition, in the Taoist tradition, in all the, the deeply, the truly and genuinely uh, uh, authentic traditions of inquiry, feel and know the web of life as being true, as being radiant, not being random. that we have, um, in one way, the Li. So I was talking with Li Qi the other day, and uh, her beautiful name, Li Qi, is both a Qi of the Qigong, and I think it's a different meaning of the word Li, right? But there's an, there are many meanings to the word Li, and one is the essential patterns of the universe. So when we practice, when we do both our, our meditative practice, our introspection, 
our body scans and so on. Uh, and the connection with the, with the elements, this is a gateway, this is a doorway to the practice of connecting with the life of the universe. That's not out there. That's us. That's who we are in essence. So that we learn to eventually see ourselves in every other being. You know, and recognize, yeah, the light that is emanating from your eyes is the light, is the life, is the light in mine. That that life which beats your heart beats my heart. And that there is a web of meaning that is connected with with this amazing intelligence that we are. Our meditative practice, our somatic practice, is in part um, releasing the layers of conditioning so that we can more deeply connect with and appreciate this amazing life that we are. So that we get free in some way of the hypnosis of, uh, of cultural conditioning. Yeah, we still were in this life. We're going to still communicate. We're still, you know, going to drive our cars. But the the practice opens us up into this new potential, this this thing that is all already always already here. Uh, in the tradition of the Lakota Sioux, there is a beautiful saying that's kind of connected with all of this. And it is, if you want to know the great spirit, you must have hollow bones. Well, that's more like a Zen koan, isn't it? <laughs> What? I've been working with to keep my bones strong. Not literally. But what is that, what is that really saying? If we want to know this essence of being that we are, our true nature, our Buddha nature by any name, then at the core of our being, so in terms of our physical being, that's the bones, right into the marrow, that sense of spacious emptiness in the same way that Lama Wangdor referred to the drop of emptiness purifying the ocean. So it's, uh, for me that's been like a koan. In my Zen tradition we do, we do koan practice. If that's a new word for you, it's kind of like um, to a certain degree, it begins as a linguistic puzzle. And it often sounds like nonsense to begin with. And then if you try to answer it from your head, the the Zen teacher rings the bell and says, back to the Zendo. (laughs) 
So one such uh, koan, like like this koan, if if you want to know the great spirit, you must have hollow bones. Of course, it's not literal. What does that mean? What does it mean to have hollow bones in this sense? A sense of openness and transparency. And this is an aspect that we cultivate is it not in this field of uh, the presentation of kindness or the cult, I should say, the cultivation of kindness? And then on this most uh, also important level of our human being, clearing the pathways, understanding that this is an, uh, that this is an energetic matrix of being. So we don't uh, we're not limited just by science's uh, understanding of our bodies. We can use other maps as well. Uh, the Chinese have created beautiful maps of understanding the subtle body. The yogis of the past and some in the present also. Beautiful maps of understanding. The map is not the territory. So it requires a uh, our engagement, our interest, and I think as, uh, as Vinny said the other day, our, our curiosity, bring our curiosity to this practice. So let that open up. So let me give you another koan since we're in koans right now. One of the very interesting ones over time has been Um, show me your original face. Show me your original face. The face that you had before your parents were born. Cook on that for a minute. Show me your original face. The face that you had before your parents were born. Well, on the level of logic, it's like, what? It makes no sense. I didn't have a face. My parents weren't even born. What are you talking about? So what the koan is inviting is inviting the nature of pure, of true being of pure being before the manifestation of this human life that's intimately interwoven with this life so if you try to answer that question with logic or reason or something it doesn't really work but if you answer that by, by being present in your, in your natural and authentic being, that's the answer to the koan. So in a way, we, we deal with, all, with koans all the time. Not maybe as arcane or interesting as that particular one, but we deal with somatic koans as well. Problems in our body. You know, how did this happen? 
Maybe not knowing, maybe knowing how it happened is not the important thing. Maybe it is. But working through the body with skill and with, um, with sometimes with guidance is, it can be an important aspect of this awakening. I remember that you know, that um, Suzuki Roshi, um, another teacher connected with the Zen tradition, he would say something like, uh, "There, there are no enlightened beings because all beings are enlightened, but there are enlightened actions." I thought, hmm, wow, that's interesting. So we can't get our ego caught up in attainment of, uh, of enlightenment. Because it's not this being that appropriates enlightenment. It's our connection with the universe as we open in this way and the universe appropriates us in a certain way. It can't operate without us, without this unique human life. I said I'd tell you the two stories about Lama Longdor, so I'll I'll come to that, the second story. Um, one time we were doing a rather long retreat, and it was a tradition called Korde Rushin. Some of you, if you're familiar with Tibetan stuff, it's a particular kind of practice. But he taught us a practice, and he said, he said, no matter what happens, this is always happening with me in our connection. And it was deeply moving to me. So he said, my heart is always open and there are streams of love and dharma in that essential kindness always extending to you. And when that, when that reaches you, you can allow that to open up and to extend and connect with all beings. So it's, it's, a, it's a presence of generosity. It's not imaginary. It comes out of uh, deep heart-mind intention for that, that quality of care. And for us in that quality of care, in this presence of metta, in the integration, in a certain way, the purification of our um, life here. That's what takes place. So the, the feeling of this connection, the, the Indra's web of, um, of the connection of our life 
one with another and with all of life. So, what a beautiful teaching. And we can feel that right now uh, in this network of beings here, you know, connecting with one another through this field of the heart. Right? It doesn't have to be a visceral sense of connection. Like I don't have to somehow feel something. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. But the heart intention for that connection, the heart intention for that space, and that expression of kindness is there. So whenever I sit down, almost almost always sit down and I'm in that space. And if I really want to connect with Lama Wangdor in that space, I can still feel that stream of, of presence and love and kindness. And I feel that from you. And I'm extending that from you to you. And you're feeling it from Finney, Bonnie from all of us, you know. We may not be perfect beings. And we're, in some ways, there's, you know, that would be a kind of a contrivance. But our love is perfect. Our, our genuine sense of love and that cultivation of that um, aspect of our being to share the, the goodness, to really connect with both the wisdom, the kindness, and in the understanding of our, of our conditions here on earth, compassionate awareness. And when we connect with that through our, our ways of being here, both in the uh, meditative aspect, then I like to say that Um, compassion is naturally arising. It's not that we don't cultivate it from time to time, working with the kind of this process of purification. Purification, because a metta retreat is is a fire retreat. I think you have probably got that, you know, at least one moment, or maybe many on this retreat, right, Betsy? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's about purification. That's an important uh, uh, aspect. Because we're not trying to carry all the, the conditioning into uh, the space of transformation. We're not denying that. So as, the, as that saying goes, um, Forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. You know that one? I'm sure you do. So there's, um, you know, uh, as Bonnie expressed today, that sense of forgiveness is not shutting out the things that have happened, but having having a, a wise perspective of that. That can't change but our relationship to it can. Just like um, trauma is not what happened to you, 
but what happens and has happened inside of you because of what happened to you. Does that make sense? It's not just about an event. It's about our response to it. And I think if you've heard that from Vinny and from Bonnie and from me, and probably from many other teachers. It's about the, that quality of response and changing the reactionary nature of it so that we, that we move out more out of choice. And that's part of the cultivation of our Dharma practice. Yeah, it, it doesn't happen overnight. And it, the, the unwinding is a layered process. So part of the aspect of your love is your willingness to have some tolerance for this, to have some steadiness and perseverance in your practice, even when things don't go right or seem not to be going right. And just that steady heart that even in the in the space of of conditions that we face the climate emergency uh, the, the the crazy ass stuff that's happening all over the world you know that we we don't collapse we don't we don't surrender inside of that that we, that we try the best we can to keep our hearts strong and clear. And, of course, there's oscillations, because that's the way of our human lives. Well, that was page one. Of my... <laughs> okay. Anyway. Sometimes it just takes you places, right, Vinny? <laughs> I wanted to see if there was something I wanted to read here as a way of closing this evening. <laughs> the chi, or the energy, and the li, the principles of the universe, are the expression and the manifestation of the eternal, everlasting, omnipresent Tao, our clear and radiant Buddha nature. Our integration is a pathway in mindfulness and in personal cultivation, that growing up aspect, serving to bring about well-being in spirit, mind, and body. And we practice not just for ourselves, but for the well-being of all of life. 